Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to In Defense of Ska. We aim to push back on the mainstream's negative perception of the music. Ska deserves the respect genres like punk, hip-hop, and hardcore find among their listeners. Our host is renowned music journalist and author of the book In Defense of Ska, Aaron Carnes. Today we speak to Sarah Tudson, lead singer of the indie rock group The Illuminati Hotties. Sarah is also a producer and recording engineer that has worked with Wise Blood, Boy Genius, Speedy Ortiz, and other cool bands. As a kid, Sarah grew up in the Southern California ska and punk scene, so we are using this opportunity to show how growing up around ska and punk helped to inform her later career in indie rock. It's not an uncommon story. In fact, many successful musicians got their start around ska, and it's always interesting to hear about which part of that scene they took with them to their non-ska life. And joining me now is my co-host, veteran ska musician Adam Davis of Omnigon and Link 80. I feel like this is a recurring theme that we have on this show where when we bring in somebody who has it is not like from the outside perspective affiliated with ska they grew up in the ska scene you know i think maybe when we started out it was a little bit more as a superficial thing like oh it's kind of interesting that this person from this scene came from ska but the more we do it i think the more we dig in deeper to see how like what pieces of the ska scene they took with them Mm mm-hmm so it might be um, the DIY uh, elements, the community elements. It might be might be like like Barry Johnson talked about how he took with him some songwriting styles from ska. Yeah, you know, the, dealing with counter harmonies and stuff like that. So I really am fascinated with that stuff. I'm really fascinated with what they took with them. Yeah, what what they learned and like what their perception is now. Yeah. So I think that Sarah's footprint on music is all over indie rock. So we're really showing how vast the subtle ska influence has been on recent indie rock music. All right. So the first thing I want to talk about um, is this song called um, Jabberjaw Running Underwater. (laughs) Are you familiar with this song? Um, Is this related to the cartoon? (laughs) It's uh, it's by a band called Pain, and it was covered. Oh, yeah. It was covered by uh, this YouTube channel called Scottoon Network. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I sang that on you that. You did, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's all blur. Yeah, well, that's cool. I, I actually, um, I know it from the cartoon. I didn't know that it was like a real 
that a real band, not a fictional TV band, made it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too familiar with Pain. Um, you never saw Pain? Uh, I no, I'm not really familiar. Although I I do know just looking them up, they are hotly debated about whether they play ska, and they they insist they do not play ska. I, I, that's a thing I found out. I see Pain every day. <laughs> <laughs> I I saw Pain once back in the day. They were weird. Oh, oh really? Yeah, they're good. They're weird because because they are a pop they are a pop punk band with horns. So ah, that's why it's debated. I see. I see. Yeah, but did, so do you remember being invited? So you were normally a lot of times when Jared does these and brings on a person, it's like Scott Two Network featuring person. But in this case. It was the Scottoon Network supergroup of which you were part of. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jer is the best and we've chatted, you know, on and off over the last however many years. Um, they jumped on stage with us one time at a Florida show. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of Jer and their whole world. And uh, and I think it was kind of one of those things where we're like, let's just do this thing already. Like long time coming, you know? Yeah. Do you remember what song Jared jumped up to play trombone on? Um, I think they hopped in for oh boy. I wanna say paying off the happiness. Like I think there's like a usually a guitar solo or something that happens, and I just had Jared play the choruses and play through the solo. Um, but they also played on my last record on there's a song called Joni. And uh, there's there's some big horn stabs in there that Jer played. Yeah, yeah. Jer told me that. Yeah. Uh, but it sounds like it's kind of hard to hear it, I think, in the final mix. Yeah, it's it's low, but it's it's pretty cool. It's like a lot of like squiggly, like weird sounds. And then it's just kind of like hitting with all the guitars. I think in general, like your music, particularly on the new album or the newest album, I should say, yeah, it is hard. Some it is a little hard to distinguish exactly what's going on, but I think that's cool. I love when records are like that, where it's like you don't necessarily you can't make out specific things. It's just sort of a it's a unique uh, sound, a blend of sounds together. For sure, wall of sound. Wall of sound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you remember recording that? I mean, that was a, just a couple of years ago, right? The uh, the Scottoon Network Supergroup. Yes. Yeah. It was like during like some pretty deep covid time so um mm-hmm. so yeah i mean obviously all that stuff is is done remotely anyway but um i i had just got gotten a dog re- when i had recorded that i think it was like mid 2020 and i tried to strap a little like shark fin on her and get her in the background, but I think she just <laughs> laid on her side in the background. I don't even know how to see the fin. <laughs> how was the shark fin? Was it cute on your dog? It was really cute. It was like made out of cardboard, and she's like kind of that color of cardboard. So it looked like it was like really blended in with her. My my old dog. Uh, we used to take her to this uh, this pool. This like it was like a dog park pool thing. Wow! And and they had like different toys and like vests that they could wear and there was one that was a shark fin vest oh my god yeah i put it on her she didn't even really go in the water but it was doesn't matter (laughs) just to to see her walk around in it was adorable that's amazing i love that your dog okay wait i I told you i do a lot of research 
You named your dog maybe after the uh, Arrested Development character? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Is it, uh, are you that big of a fan of the show or is it just the name that fit and the personality that fit? Um, a little of both. I, I love the show a lot, deeply. Um, and, you know, I think it like kind of has like waned. It doesn't, it doesn't like always stand the test of time. I've done a few rewatches over the years and like, mm. I feel like with each rewatch, I'm kind of like, ah. but the jokes are so well-written and it's like so expertly crafted. Um, and, and yeah, I thought it was just like a super cute name and she is similar to maybe Funke, just a bit of a troublemaker and a stubborn little dork. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the later seasons, the, the the recent seasons of Arrested Development? The recent seasons did not have the magic for me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I was. it was fun to see everybody back, like, on the same set, I guess. But, yeah, it was, like, a little bit, like, uh, Michael Sarah was kind of old. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just, the, the, it doesn't play as well, you know? Definitely. Yeah. 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 All right, so I found this comp online called Hidden Tap Unlocked Volume 1. And oh. uh, yeah, two now 2019 Illuminati yes. hotties covering New Girl by Suicide Machines. <laughs> yes, I'm glad you found that. Um, yeah, we did like a, a Tony Hawk Pro Skater soundtrack cover compilation, um, or we were a part of it, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was like choose from this list, and like obviously, there's some. There's some ska gems on there. Um, And New Girl was really fun to play. And I like my drummer um, had recently started dating uh, the woman that would become his wife. And so I made him sing it and it was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Were uh, were you already a fan of that song? Yes. Oh, yeah. That whole soundtrack is pretty iconic. And it's like kind of burned into my brain just like you know being from southern california everybody had that game on mm-hmm. whatever nintendo fucking things that people have and like i played a lot of that as a kid at friends houses mostly um but yeah i mean that that whole soundtrack is just like I, there's some like really weird deep cuts on there that i feel like would be nowhere almost without tony hawk yeah which which ones do you think are the weird deep cuts one that really sticks out is a Power Man 5000 song. <laughs> when worlds collide. Yes. Li- and it's it's so bizarre. Um, and it works in the soundtrack. I would argue that uh, Goldfinger's Superman would not be a well-known Goldfinger song were it not for that soundtrack. Yeah. I, I would think so. Yeah. I mean, I think it gave them just a massive boost. And I know um, Goldfinger guy, whose name is escaping me, is like around in LA and he's, he produces a lot now. Cause their hits in the nineties were not that song. Right. And then that came out in like early two thousands. And then that like became the huge song by them right, from that right. soundtrack. And I think so that it all, they also had the um, added bonus of being the first song. Yes. So yeah. even, even the poor, the people who were not good at the game became very familiar <laughs> with that song, but not other songs. <laughs> exactly. You heard it no matter what. Yeah. How familiar were you with punk and ska and all that music before you started playing that game? Um, you know, 
pretty deeply, I feel like, or maybe, I don't know, maybe it was like sort of simultaneous, like it, it didn't stem from the game specifically. I sort of remember having played the game and being like, oh, this is cool. This is like similar to what I like. And, you know, there's, there's music in here that I'm into just from life. But I think as like a tween or like maybe 11 year old, even I, I was pretty like, um, averse to, to popular top 40 music for whatever reason. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, my, my higher art was punk and ska. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Blink-182 and Green, A- Green Day were some of the early discoveries in punk, right, for you? Definitely. Also, you know, Black Flag, Misfits. There was some, um, some like, adolescence, I feel like. There was, like, oh, man, Casualty. There's, like, pretty much, like, anything that was, like, on a black denim jacket like that you know you like a patch (laughs) on the jacket i was just like like early internet just like voraciously searching those bands and figuring out what that was all about um but i did you know i i will say there was a lot of ska in there and i remember learning about less than jake from a friend and then that sort of led down this rabbit hole of like real big fish and Streetlight, and then deeper into like Catch Twenty Two, and then Hepcat, and like Specials, and sort of just like going deeper and deeper, and then kind of like early high school, I feel like I had to refine and was like got into this like weird like reggae and dub phase, and I was like (laughs) listening to like weird weird mixtapes because I was like this is this is ska, but I've smoked weed now or something you know <laughs> like like I, I'm not on Adderall I'm on downers now <laughs> yeah. or whatever was cool in high school and uh yeah but yeah like you know I, I my bread and butter was definitely in ska at least was definitely like the closer to punk stuff mm-hmm. were there any um local bands you got into at that time that maybe nobody's heard of you know there were a few like high school bands that I feel like were playing at the smell and like playing all ages shows around town and their names are very much escaping me right now, but there were a few kind of, I'll I'll try and dig up some, uh, some stuff on the hard drive and (laughs) send it over. I'm sure it's (laughs) trash, but (laughs) there was, I mean, it was like very Southern Californian. I feel like that like friends started bands and just like added a random horn. (laughs) <laughs> just one <laughs> horn yeah yeah they were like we're a ska band now and it's like uh yeah whatever <laughs> yeah for sure what about were there any bands that you listened to that you now are just like oh don't like that band you know i don't really ha- nothing like comes to mind i guess like looking back you know i I don't know if I, again, similar to rest of development, like probably doesn't stand the test of time or like maybe the people have sort of uh, been pushed to the outside of the music industry for one reason or another. Sure. Um, I, you know, I think there's like a, a like pleasant corniness that is like, I, I don't mind looking back on, like, I think yeah. it's fun. And I think there's some like amazing, amazing arrangements yeah. happening and, some sort of really deep and beautiful history to the genre that 
you know, it's not like totally thrashed for me. Although I'm sure there's some bands that I would be uh, not not pleased to hear about where they ended up yeah, in the political sure. or social spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the punk ska, punk and ska bands from back in the day you look fondly upon most, like most fondly upon now? You know, I feel like honestly, Aquabats were like up to this to something that like really, really solidified them as far as like being able to do it for a long time and like you know obviously travis barker was in the in the aquabats and um yeah they they like against all odds made like a real career (laughs) out of music like you know they obviously have the band but then like uh are they i think they're like responsible for that t there's like a kids tv show yo gabba gabba and that's them right yeah, so you know, that's like pretty that's pretty cool. <laughs> um more punk adjacent, like I kind of feel like, you know, the catch twenty two sort of like turn to like really like fast tempo, um like kind of like harsher guitar, harsher vocals is really fun and was fun for me when I was younger. And you went to a lot of shows at Smell. This is a, can you explain what Smell is? This is like a pretty important LA venue, right? Yes. So the Smell has been, I don't really know. They must have been around for like, I don't know, probably like 20 years now or 15. Mm -hmm. And um, they are an all ages venue. One of the few in LA currently, at least. Um, And it's just sort of this DIY venue that's been around forever and ever. And they always are like about to close and then, you know, throw some big show where they, miraculously are able to like keep their doors open for a couple more years i thought they were closed because I, I remember i this must have been one of the things you're talking about because i do remember a few years ago a whole lot of like press went towards uh them closing i thought so maybe that led to them getting financing and keeping it open yeah yeah i think like every every couple years there is sort of like a a save the smell movement. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm for, they appear to be open. So I'm looking, I'm, I actually Googled it just now. Cause I was like, Oh no, did they like not make it through the pandemic or something? Um, but yeah, they're, they're open. Uh, it's, it's so, it's just such an iconically DIY spot. They haven't cleaned the bathroom probably since the day before they opened. Um, and I've played shows there. I've seen friends play shows there. It's like, it used to be like $5 a show, no matter what. So I don't, I'm not sure if that's changed. Um, but yeah, I mean that, and then there was a spot called Cobalt Cafe that was like much closer to where I grew up. Um, were like the two all ages places that I, I knew of when I was younger. Can you think back to any uh, shows at the smell? Like close your eyes and like, who do you see on stage? I wish I could remember. I kind of feel like I either saw bands that like came and went, you know, within like uh, less than a month or like it was like friends. Like I, I've, I can't really like put my finger on exactly. Again, this is something I got to look back on and it I feel like my brain is like rotted by like my calendar app. I can't think of anything that happened <laughs> before app. I wrote it down in my calendar, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't really ever see anything like super iconic there. I mean, I know that like there's been some pretty serious 
history and um you know every once in a while there'll be kind of like a big band you know that comes and does a fun show there sure but i mean the little bands i mean that, those can be important too or the 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 come and go bands you know yeah yeah for sure um man i i would didn't think I would have to dive this deeply into my memory. <laughs> so, but you played, you played the smell stage. I've played um, as an adult though. I never oh, played okay. like, when I was a kid. I didn't really have like my own band when I was a kid. And like I was playing drums in other people's bands, but it was like, not, it was kind of like not good enough to, to be booking gigs or really anywhere. In Defense of Ska, we'll return in a moment. Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. But what were some of the bands that you played when played with as a teenager, however briefly? Can you remember any of the names of these bands? Yeah, okay. So I had a, a jazz combo <laughs> in like early high school called Half Dozen, because there were six of us. Hey. I played in a band that didn't ever really have a name, but it like we started by like covering Green Day songs. And then like, I feel like we got to a point where we were like, let's write a song. And then there was just like zero writing skill or chemistry. And we were just like, okay, let's just play Brain Stew again. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the Green Day cover band that never left my living room. Um, yeah, that those were the main like extracurricular band outside of school bands that I had, but I played a lot in school and then I also was just kind of like writing and practicing on my own and trying to I don't know, like do anything musically creative that, that would distract me from having to do responsibilities. <laughs> were you in just the jazz band in school? Or were you in like marching band too? Oh, I was in it all. As drums, right? Drums. At what age did you enter the school band? Uh, Sixth grade. So I guess like 11 or 12, however old that is. Can you remember? Because I I did school band from the fourth grade to sophomore in high school, and I did drums as well. Oh, awesome. Can you remember? Because I can remember... um, I can remember the day where it was like, hey, if you guys want to play an instrument go in that room. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm fourth grade. I'm like, all right, I, I choose drums or whatever. And like the, I was just in the band from, for how many years that was. <laughs> I, I don't remember it being a thought out thing or asking my parents. I just think I was just like one day in class, they were like, you know, make a line. This, this line this yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely was like seeking out music. I, I like begged and begged my parents to let me, do piano lessons when I was much younger and I had to wait because the only piano teacher they could find that was like, I don't teach kids like under a certain age because she didn't want to be babysitting. And, you know, no matter how sort of like 
ready. I was, I had to wait like a year and then I started doing that. So that was when I was like seven. Mm. And then by the time I got to middle school was when they started doing school band. Um, and yeah, kind of same thing. They're just like, what do you want to play? And you like wrote down your top choices and, uh, I really wanted to play drums and luckily they handed me some drumsticks after that process. And then, yeah, I just kept, I kept doing that until, you know, all the way through college. In high school, uh, for marching band, what uh, drums did you play? I did snare drum a lot if it was marching season. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there was also sort of like a more classical band. So like that, I was a little bit of everything like, you know, timpani and cymbals and all the little like fun, weird things. And then I was pretty serious into the jazz band, which was just straight ahead drum set. Yeah. I didn't do the jazz band. Um, did they, was there like, did they teach you properly things about jazz in the jazz band as a drummer? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of felt like I got a really great education actually from the, from this jazz band at school. And, um, you know, I was trying to take some drum lessons on the side, which I, I felt really lucky to have a great drum teacher who also was like, um, did it was like sort of deeply in the LA jazz world and, uh, session LA session guy world for a while. Um, so yeah, I, I felt like I got actually a pretty great sco- lay of the land as far as jazz world can go in high school. And again, that just sort of like contributed to me trying to find desperately music that wasn't top 40 for whatever reason. Because now I feel like I'm actually a big fan of pop and, and also looking back on pop that was like happening when I was in high school. Um, I love but at the time, I was just like, so like, this is not real music. And for whatever whatever reason, like Black Flag was, or like, you know, the sort of like deeper jazz world cuts that we had gotten into. I actually have had like, yeah, I, I have a new appreciation of pop. And I think some of that came from becoming a writer as an adult oh, and cool. un- understanding that writers work with editors and work with all these other people in order to build the, what they're trying to build. Right. Yeah. And so that allowed me to see music the same way. It's like, Oh, music doesn't have to be four people in a room and only them to create art. Songwriters can collaborate. They can work with producers. Um, there's different ways to create a creativity for creativity to happen. You know, Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's like, so it's the craft side of things, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just perfection. Ear candy. Like they just know what, what is going to feel good for people to hear, you know, on the dance floor, in the car, whatever, you know? Yeah. You like pop music now? What are some, uh, what, who are your pop artists that you're really into? <laughs> um, I love, I love Ariana Grande. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is what y'all are putting me on the spot for this. <laughs> um, what other pop records was I really into in the last year? I I like, uh, I kind of like Post Malone. Yeah. Which is like, I like every time I'm, I like want to be a hater. I'm like, uh, 
this guy's actually pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was, okay, not the most recent Machine Gun Kelly record, but there is a Machine Gun Kelly record that I actually loved. It was, there was a lot of amazing writing on it, weirdly. Um, And then sort of like, you know, there's some Taylor Swift stuff that I love. Oh, Taylor Swift's Uh, the best. Yeah. I mean, just that is pure craft, you know, firing on all cylinders. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Is, is, uh, is Casey Musgraves pop? I guess that's kind of more country. or something. She's kind of like country crossover pop, I think at this point. Yeah. Right. Right. I love Beyonce. Oh yeah. Um, which again is like pop, but also like, I don't know, has, has spanned a lot of genre in her career. Now, I was, I was reading this interview you did where you were talking about different producers and stuff that you uh, looked up to. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them you mentioned was uh, Ariel Retscheid. Yes, absolutely. And you said, I was hip to him early on. So I want to know if that was code for you saying that you used to own Heads Are Gonna Roll. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course, that's what that was. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Ariel, though, yeah. So, I mean, were you a fan of Hippos back in the day? Yeah, I mean, that shit's amazing. Like, he's been doing it for so long, and it just gets better and better. And, like, I mean, speaking of pop, I was, like, doing kind of a weird deep dive on, like, Justin Bieber stuff. And, like, there is a lot of crazy stuff in Justin Bieber's back catalog. And every time I would hear a song and I was like, whoa, this is, like, kind of cool, and I never heard it before. It was, like, not hit. And Ariel was producing it. I was like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. But yeah, definitely owned Heads Are Gonna Roll, as well as the self-titled. Yeah, his work with um, Haim really impressed me. Oh yeah, it's huge. Uh, what else? I mean, his catalog, his his producing catalog is really good, actually. <laughs> it's so deep. I mean, it's like he's doing the sort of the top of indie rock. And he also like has like Usher cuts. Yeah, it's interesting because like there's a lot of producers like him who sort of come from the punk and indie or whatever world, but they're working with these pop artists. But they're sort of creating this blend of music that's like not pop like we used to think of it, and not really indie like we used to think of it. But it's sort of just like taking all these things and sort of creating a new thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think like you know, as a result of sort of coming from. A, a more like punk or garage band type background it's like they're they're reaching for these weird sounds all the time yeah. um and then i feel like pop in my in my you know in my production world i feel like anytime there's like a pop person in the room it's always like oh let's make something grungy let's make something cool like they want more distortion they want more like indie vibes and then anytime there's like an indie artist in the room they're like i want it to be like huge and pop it like i feel like everybody wants what they don't have and um and like a producer who has a great ear for great music and and the weird sounds is sort of the perfect person to be in the room with either of those people yeah i don't know if you can like listen to some of these producers like ariel or other people do you understand sort of like their hallmark moves by listening to their catalog yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, like, I think th- there's just, it, it's hard, it's sort of difficult to explain, it, it's kind of like listening to a band's catalog, and you're like, yeah, this is obviously all the same band, 
even though they may have spanned many eras or sounds or whatever going for different things on their record it still has like a thread and i i do feel like producers have that too and it's not as obvious as like having the same vocalist or whatever but it is just sort of like a a like mix preference or like an arena like kind of like things that they do in the chorus to like make it bigger or smaller or like drum sounds is a big one um you know just people have tricks in their in their pocket and i think that it's it's the way they can work so quickly is they're just like i know this works and they throw it in a song it's it's a little more like i guess in the case of like ariel he's done so much stuff like (laughs) across the board it's hard to like say like oh yeah this heim song you know has the same thing that's happening in like a sky ferrera song or something but but it's there you know sure yeah for yourself i mean you came from playing jazz in in high school in high school and playing in punk and these these kinds of bands and stuff how do you feel like that informed you as a producer and engineer um definitely at least from jazz world i feel like there's a lot of arrangement tricks that i sort of subconsciously employ all the time it's just like when to take out all the instruments when to have it be like a huge blast of everything at once like when it's just rhythm section like kind of adding and subtracting voices you know harmonically and that that stuff always is in in the back of my head as a producer and and i think that was like sort of what what like Duke Ellington or Count Basie or like a big band leader was doing at the time was saying like, okay, I want it to feel like this. And then picking the instruments that they had access to. Whereas like now I sit down on my computer and I'm like, I wanted to feel like X and the tools are range from live instruments all the way through, like literally any sound you can dream, you know, because of, because of digital sound. (laughs) Um, So I think that has stayed with me a lot. I think as far as punk and that world uh, informs my production, it's really just about authenticity. And I think like when something feels really authentic and feels really uh, sort of like good in your soul, that feels punk to me. I have a thought that I've had for a little while that I'd love to get your take on. um, Because when we think about like punk or ska or metal or these sort of genres, that they come from like a they, they come from a tradition, right? There are scenes like they have like I want I don't want to say rules, but uh, something similar to rules, you know, things that define it. I guess you could say. Yeah. And then pop music, and I love both. So don't get me wrong; I'm not judging. Pop music seems to have no rules in a sense that everything everything's fair game with pop music. Yeah. Whatever you I mean, can, yes, whatever. Yeah, no. Okay, I see. I said I'm curious about. Uh-huh. From my point of view, it seems like anything you can do to the song, if you're pop, that makes it work is fine. There's no specific tradition that you're like having to honor. Mm-hmm. Like whereas people in genres feel like they have to honor the history and the tradition while still moving forward. So right. I'm curious, like working with different artists, both as a musician and as a producer, kind of what your take on that is. And and you know Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like sort of def- 
defiant to all of that. Like, I, I think that, like, even in, like, genres that are sort of, like, doing an homage to, to a long tradition or, like, are deeply in a scene of some kind, like, like, anytime, like, that is if that's like the guiding light in the room, I'm like, get me out of here. You know, like I'm happy to make a (laughs) punk record, but I don't want a band to come in here and be like, all like, it has to be like this. Like, that's very, I feel like that um, to me feels like the opposite of what those genres are. And, And the only reason that they have that, those rules and sort of like that gatekeeping is because they've been around for so long. Um, whereas pop is like morphing and sort of like, more flavor of the day you know like pop could be the beatles pop could be Katy perry like it's it changes over the course of time just in huge ways because of the tools that we have access to now yeah but you know i think that pop also follows rules and there's certain every once in a while there's like a breakaway song where you're like wow like i cannot believe in the same way there's like a breakaway like this like the barbie movie everybody's like oh my god like i can't believe the major studios let her do that you know um and i feel like there's pop songs every once in a while where you're like wow i can't believe that like this is out on warner and they just were like yeah go for it you know um but (laughs) i think there are sort of rules and bureaucracy you have to do i think there's like just sort of like a standard structure. I think there's sort of like, if you get too out, you start alienating your listeners. And the goal of pop is to have the most listeners at all times. So you're catering to the lowest common denominator of music listeners, which is often like someone who's just popping it on in the background. And so you're doing everything in, in your playbook to catch someone's ear. Um, and there's things that work and there's things that don't, I guess, in that world. Yeah, like 100 Gex seemed like a weird, <laughs> like I was surprised that they were on a major. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, you know, I love that record, the new run. Well, I like both their records, but you listen to it, it's like, um, from a production point of view, it's very weird. But from a pop hook point of view, it's actually very normal. Yeah, it's like yeah, exactly. hyper, hyper hook oriented, but yeah, it's yeah. just produced weird. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think like the sounds will always be changing, but the format and like things that work in pop sort of continuously get referenced. Uh, you know, the hundred gex stuff is amazing and I'm such a huge fan and they're, they're doing exact, it's just sort of writing this perfect line of like where art meets craft. Um, yeah and mm-hmm. in in that way they're attracting a lot of fans um that being said like is it as big as kelly clarkson i don't know <laughs> yeah no good point yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's dope and it's like i you know i hope they can continue to sort of like grow that sound and, and make it make it the rule you know mm-hmm yeah, so you, so you went to uh, you went to Berkeley School to study drums initially, but it was in school that you switched gears towards uh, yeah. engineering, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I just was like so bored, like being alone in a practice room six hours a day, like playing drums, and I was like, okay, I can't, I don't think I can do performance, but they have this production program that seems really cool, and I definitely don't know as much about that world where I stand 
But I got in there and I was like, wow, like being alone six hours in a studio instead of a practice room. <laughs> yeah. I love. <laughs> yeah. I never, ever, ever liked playing drums alone. It's like kind of like not fun at all. I mean, I I love <laughs> I went through a phase where I love to practice, don't get me wrong. But also it's just like physically it takes a lot out of you. Your ears are just being blasted even with like hearing protection or whatever, you know, like you're just a, like you hit a snare drum in a room that's like six feet by six feet and it's just fucking so loud. Because <laughs> I feel like um, people who are guitarists or pianists or whatever, it's like, okay, they can sit there for four hours and like make songs. Yeah. What do you do on drums all day? You're just rehearsing. You're trying to improve your beats. I don't know. It just doesn't. Yeah. I mean, that's just it. It's like, it's like the physicality. I feel like you just have to build like endurance and chops and like time. And it it's like a much, much more sort of mechanically oriented instrument than guitar in some ways. Adam, when you were, when you were younger, how much, how, how many hours a day did you play guitar? Oh, I kind of hated practicing too. <laughs> <laughs> in defense of not practicing. I mean, I really, I really started playing guitar just because I wanted to be in a band because I wanted to be in a gang. <laughs> that's, that's it. Incredible. Like, I got good enough to, to be in a band and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> Rehearse by tour. That's, that's the, that's the goal, right? Exactly. Yeah. That was definitely where I got <laughs> decent at guitar was touring <laughs> like it was like playing at home i was like whatever like i never wanted to learn other people's songs i just wanted to make stuff up and then i wanted to play it with other people like like you said i like playing by myself i thought was boring i wanted to play with other people yeah playing with other people was like if that if i could could have figured out how to like make my practice routine involve an entire band like at all times i would have my longevity on as a drummer would have gone up significantly. I think. How often do you, do you still play drums? I haven't played in a minute. I, I played on the first hotties record. I think I played all the drums on that. And then mm -hmm. there's some tunes on the most on, let me do one more that I played drums on. Um, but I haven't like really sat down and played in a long time, which is a shame. I, I sold a drum set to buy the guitar pedal. <laughs> <laughs> what pedal that must have been an expensive pedal i mean the drum set was more like the drum set was pretty cheap oh okay <laughs> um i don't remember exactly what i ended up buying but i basically just like sold the drum set that had been sitting in my parents house and was a not a particularly special drum set other than that it was my first one. <laughs> were, they, were they stoked to get the drum set out of their house? <laughs> you know, my my parents were always very, very nice and supportive about my musical endeavors. I really feel really lucky. It was never like, you know, they. I just was slamming on the drums and the piano, like, and guitar even, like, just all the time. And the drums are right in the living room in the front window was, like, the only place to mm -hmm. put it. Yeah. <laughs> like, because they, they used to park their cars in a garage and, like, which would have been the other, like, natu most natural drum set yeah. area, I think. Yeah. Um, so I would just be practicing and I don't know how they did it. Honestly, it was, like, it was unignorable. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they snuck earplugs or do you think they just 
leather ears get blasted? I have no idea, honestly. I should ask my dad, like, what the scoop is, because, like, it seems like torture, especially when I was not very good, like, when I started, you know, like, how, like, listening to anybody play an instrument sort of at the beginning is rough, but, like, you know, if you can't even, like, really get a beat going, it's pretty brutal, right? Definitely, yeah. And then just the just the sheer volume even when you get good it's it's probably it's it might be even worse when you get good because you're like <laughs> just blasting the whole time exactly yeah the weirdly like i feel like the my childhood dog loved it she would just lay in front of the kick drum uh-huh. and i was like worried you know i was like is this like am i making this dog deaf but i would i would like get up and move her and then she would just come back and be want to lay in the living room with me I had a period of time in, in high school where I uh, was trying to practice my chops because I was mm-hmm. heavy in my band. So I had a drum pad. Oh, yeah. And I would sit in my room for extended periods of time and I would just practice uh, on the pad along the music. Yeah. And my cat loved it. My cat oh. just sat as close to the pad as possible, not like in the line of fire, but like it's like she laid next to it and like kind of like, you know, purred like she that's liked so it. Cute. Oh my god, that's so cute! <laughs> I love that. So here's here's a suggestion um, for Illuminati hotties shows. Mm-hmm. Midway through the set, get on the drum set, do five minute drum solo. <laughs> that's Take a great it. idea. You're old school. Ugh. I I wish I wish I had the nerve. Maybe I'll do it. There's a there's a moment in time where I had like the the downstage Tom and snare. And it was like a drum jam moment with like me and the drummer. And it was pretty cool. like, it was pretty fun. I feel like the downstage Tom gets a lot of like haters, you know, cause it's just like, it's like imagine dragons vibes kind of. Right. But <laughs> but- it's usually when somebody usually does that, they're just a singer who wishes they played drums. Yeah. But yeah like if you're was- like legit a drummer and you go do it, like that's sick. Yeah. This was a little, a little more like, uh, you know, there was like an actual part and right. And then the drummer would kind of veer off and like do his crazy thing. Um, but I loved it. I mean, it would be very powerful if I could work up the uh, nerve to go sit back on the drums for a real, real deal solo. We'll be right back after this. Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So uh, your first record, uh, Kiss Your Frenemies. So is my understanding that one of the main drivers for that was you were trying to show off your engineering skills to get some clients or to get some people that you work with them? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I never thought that I, like live, that, that touring would be such a huge part of my life um, as it is now. And when I started, it was just kind of like, yeah, I'll make this record. Like, it, you know, it'll... I could point to it when people are like, well, what have you recorded? And I could show them, you know, something. 
and also obviously just having been a writer but not calling myself that for so long was part of it um and then it was like you know one thing turned into the next like a friend's like come play a show like it'd be so fun to hear you play it out and i'm like yeah okay and then <laughs> come play another show and then it's like all of a sudden i'm like going on a little tour and then i'm you know it what it just sort of spiraled out of control this monster oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so sadie dupuy from uh, speedy ortiz and sad 13 I, sh- I know she said she had told me that she specifically wanted to work with you because she heard the record like I, and I, which i guess was the goal that you were after exactly i mean and also you know i, I feel like we're sort of running in similar circles that we're bound to cross at some point. Uh, Mm -hmm. But still like at the time that I had made kiss your frenemies, like if you would have been like, Oh, you're going to make a record for speedy Ortiz. I would have been like, no way. Like they're, you know, they're the, the greatest of the great, you know, they're like the pivotal indie rock band. They're playing all over the place. They're constantly on tour. They're making records that people love. And, they just sort of were this like cornerstone of guitar music. Um, So I think if you would have told me then that Sadie was like listening to the record and being like, we should work on a thing, I would have flipped. Um, But that's, I guess, kind of what happened. (laughs) Yeah. And she said that before you formally met each other, that you went to one of her book readings. I did. Yeah. Like I, I had a friend who was doing sound for Speedy on tour and then i you know i sort of knew that that sadie uh was a poet as well and and she was doing a book tour and stopped by this venue junior high nearby that is also sort of a great like all ages diy spot and um and yeah so i just stopped in to like listen to the poetry and be like yo like so good to meet you we know all the same people like you rock you know (laughs) Yeah. Now, okay, so the the first record, you initially were going to just like upload it online. Now, I was in a New York Times article, you said that it was Lucy Dacus that told you to submit it or su- encouraged you to submit it to actual labels. Yeah, yeah. So, um when I was making the record, I spent some time in Nashville with my buddy Colin who produces Lucy all the, uh I think yeah, all the Lucy Dacus records and um, we knew each other from college. And you went to college with Lucy or with the engineer? I went to college with Colin, the the oh, okay. producer engineer in Nashville. He went to high school or grew up in Richmond with Lucy and Jacob, her guitar player. Oh, okay. And he was just like, Jacob's going to be in town to make a Lucy record. Like, uh, why don't you come out and like, we'll have Jacob do like finishing touches and then like Colin mixes a lot of the hottest stuff. So, um, so I just went out there to like hang, get some guitars from Jacob, start the mixing process with Colin. Um, and, and at the same time, Colin was sort of finishing this Lucy Dacus record, which I guess would have been. I'm looking at a historian. Yeah. 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 Um, and she was like, are you going to send this to any labels? And I was like, no. And she was like, you should, what do you do? (laughs) Like, what like send this around and i was like i don't know man like that seems kind of intense uh and scary and she was like it's good like just 
email it and like see what happens and then yeah I just sort of like started to like I don't know just hearing it from Lucy made me feel like I should take it a little more seriously on the artist side and that there was like sort of an artist component that I was really wanting beyond the production aspect of working on a record for myself. Interesting. Yeah. What was the voice inside your head that was keeping you from, from taking it more seriously before that? Had you been, had you dealt with people being like, Oh, it's not good enough before. Cause I definitely know I have. Yeah. Like I think I, w- I just did not see myself as a singer I didn't see myself as a very good guitar player or front person. Like, I just like was very much like, there's no way people want to listen to me. Mm. And I, that's maybe just from years of like being in the rhythm section and, you know, purposely being like as invisible as possible while still having control, you know, (laughs) over the instrument. Um, But also, yeah, I don't know. I just like was pretty like, didn't think I had a good voice. Didn't think that the songs would like connect in in any kind of like significant way, mm-hmm. other than like with my friends who I already knew liked it or or didn't, you know. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I just I think it was just like a lot of like impostery feelings of being like I can't step out and like be on the mic, like you know. Are you past that now or do you still, does some of that still hang in there? That imposter feeling? I would say I'm 99% past it. Um, Nice. I, yeah, I feel pretty like stoked and I feel like I've learned how to write for my voice in a way that, you know, I think like I can't, I know that there's stuff I can't pull off with my voice because I just don't have the chops there. But I also know that the way that I've sort of, geared my songwriting i think supports what i can do with my voice and yeah brings out the best in what i can do and then there's just you know like we just did a, a tour with boy genius and like <laughs> lucy and julian and phoebe are just incredible like vocalists you know trained vocalists essentially and like i i think there was a little I was like, oh my God, like these guys know how to sing, man. (laughs) And then I was like, what am I doing here? (laughs) There's a little bit of that, but I think, you know, especially like in, in indie rock world, like there's so many different kinds of voices and, and and like, you can, you can do so much as long as you sort of know the instrument for which you are writing. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I think that's the most important thing to realize. Yeah. I was listening. I was just listening to the song "Exploder" for uh, Lucy Dacus's uh, song "Thumbs," which is mm. like probably one of my favorite songs by her. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't realize that she recorded that song a cappella first, and then she added the uh, instrumentation because she wanted the instrumentation to be really bland. She wanted mm-hmm. it to re- you to really focus on the singing. So she sang that with nothing. Yeah. And I, that's just amazing to me. It's 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 so, so perfect. It's so it's sung so perfectly. Yeah, I mean, she she has a lot of hand in the production of her own records, and it. I know they they tried to record that song a million different ways. Yeah, and, yeah, and like, <laughs> yeah. Like weirdly enough, like by the time I was doing "Let Me Do One More," 
again, a, a similar situation. I was like, I got to get Jacob on some stuff. And he was about, he was going to be in Nashville with Lucy working on the third record. And so it was kind of like, I feel, I, sh- I think she like maybe both times took a break, like between the like tracking and mixing process or something. So Jacob would, was just like hanging out for a couple of days. And like, again, I just sort of jumped in the room with him to get guitars for let me do one more on a lot of those tunes. But yeah, I remember um, that they were agonizing over that song. And, uh, and I think that Lucy sort of all knew from the beginning that it was, it was supposed to be vocal driven and the rest would fall into place. And and I I love how that song turned out too. Yeah. All right. And so you worked on the, you worked on the, the new boy genius record, right? Yes. Uh, What was that like? Uh, It was incredible. It was one of my favorite projects that I've worked on to date. Um, They did it out at Shangri-La in Malibu, which is uh, Bob Dylan's old spot. Um, And now is Rick Rubin's spot, who Rick was not a part of the making that record, but, you know, graciously let them rent the whole house and studio. And um, uh, it was awesome. I mean, they just, they're all three of them are so talented and so graceful as far as like being in the studio and respecting people's opinion. Like there was no opinion too big or too small. I feel like it was a very welcoming floor and everybody was really pushing each other to go to the next level. It was, I, I think by no coincidence, no offense, um, essentially all women in the studio, um, which, you know, what led to a very different feeling than what I've been used to for my whole entire life. And it was, it just, there's such great friends and there's such great artists. And like, I feel like there's so many ways it could go wrong and it's just not, you know, like it's just going so well. And like the music is incredible. The people were yeah. incredible. The, the end product I thought turned out really great. And I was like, so fucking psyched to get the text of like, yo, we need a little bit of production help. Like, can you come to Malibu tomorrow? And I'm like, yeah. And that turned into like, you know, a couple of weeks. And um, also just working with Catherine Marks, who's like sort of the main producer. Isn't, isn't sort of, she is the main producer, you know, she was executive producing and closely working with them for the whole six weeks or however long they were up there maybe four weeks. Um, and she's just such a legend. Now you, you've worked with the band, you know them all. In your opinion, which member of Boy Genius would be the most appropriate guest for In Defense of Ska? <laughs> um, who, Julian. Who we have? Julian. Yeah, that was my guess. That was my, that's my feeling too. Undoubtedly Julian. I, I think that like, you know, Phoebe being from out here too, like she has probably come into contact with like the most ska bands whether on purpose or on accident but julian is such a head and is just like um you know knows so much about like weird deep hardcore cuts like from all over the country yeah she started out on a hardcore label yeah yeah i think that that she I don't know how much ska any of them listen to, but I do think that, like, I do know that Julian, you know, was and still is sort of like around the scene quite a lot. Yeah, I, there was a uh, um, Phoebe had text uh, had sent a tweet about 
uh, Jeff Rosenstock's Ska Dream, though. I'm just going to throw that in there. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't see that, but I love that. That could change the results a little, but I still think you're probably right about Julian. Yeah. Have you all talked to Melina from JSUM? No. What, what's the scoop? Well, Melina is like the the everyman in the band right now, and she's just she's playing like eighty five instruments or whatever on stage, whatever's like not covered by the other by the rhythm section, and like there's like a big tune with a huge trumpet solo, and I think that Melina has some very secret scala <laughs> because she she plays trumpet real good. Yeah, Sarah, we're gonna, we're gonna need you to do some research on that for us. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll look into it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send yeah, some texts. We need to know. <laughs> That's already some really good intel. So, yeah. Thank you. yeah anytime you need the goss, I'm here. <laughs> we're here for it. So, okay, when we, when we when we had Sadie on the show here, um, when we went behind the curtain with her. This is this was for the Patreon subscribers, but I'm just going to go ahead and reveal it here because it involves you. <gasps> she told us a little story. Yeah, she told us a story about how you guys became friends, and then she said down the road she became friends with Dan Ozzy, author of uh, the hit book Sellout. Mm-hmm. And then she introduced you and Dan, and you guys became friends. Yes. And then down the road, some time passes. You all three of you are hanging out, and then. Uh, you guys started discussing and you're like, Oh yeah, I remember. Hey, um, Sadie, remember when I introduced you to Dan? (laughs) (laughs) That, that for sure happened. I, um, (laughs) yeah, that's just me. Like just being a dumbass. (laughs) I know, I know exactly when and where she introduced me to Dan. And, and then like, I just see Dan all the time because he's in LA and he lets me swim in his pool. And, and like, um, I do remember hanging out again, like after knowing Dan for much longer and knowing Sadie for much longer and being like, Sadie, like, you know, Dan, right? And she's like, yes, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Has Dan ever taken you to uh, Glenn Danzig's house? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm very, um, <laughs> I've, I've walked by that house many times. And then one time I did happen to walk by it. With Dan Ozzy, and he made me take pictures in front of it, and he's got a he's got a he's got to print the zine. He's got like fifty yeah. different yeah. people in front of that house. I was with him and Alex Leahy, and we both. Oh, oh my god! Also, Alex is like low key a fire saxophone player, and she probably has some secret ska stuff happening. Mm, good intel this episode. We're getting all the sweet goss. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, me and Alex like were just walking around Los Feliz and we like bumped into Dan at this bookstore called Skylight. He was there for like another friends thing and like he was like, Oh my god, guys, we're so close to the dancing house. Like, let me let me take pictures of you. And we're like, Amazing. sure. <laughs> <laughs> in defense of Ska will return in a moment. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. 
All right. So, um, looking through your catalog of uh, records you've worked on, um, Ways Blood. I don't know if that is that how you pronounce it. Ways Blood. Wise Blood. Yeah. Wise Blood. Okay. Yeah. I never know how things are pronounced when I just listen to things I buy online and listen to all the time. I'm like, how do they even pronounce this? <laughs> side sidetrack. Side um, Wise Blood. Yes. Uh, I really, really loved uh, Titanic Rising, which you worked on. So it was a beautiful record. Yeah. Beautiful record. It's so um, sweeping, I guess would be the word I would use to describe it. 100%. Yeah. Um, I worked on that one as well as uh, what Hearts Aglow. Is that the most recent one? Yeah. I like that record too. It hasn't quite hit me the way Titanic Rising did, where I could not stop listening to Titanic Rising. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, sh- Natalie is just like, so again, like just such a legendary artist and like a great writer and a beautiful singer. And, um, Rado kind of called me in like last minute to like track vocals. Cause he plays in his wife's band, I guess. And was like, had a tour booked. And so he was like heading out on the road and he's like, we need, can you just like engineer the vocals? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And then I, same thing kind of for the next one. I just was, did, did some vocal tracking with Natalie. Um, and it's great. I mean, it, it's so fun to like work on music. That is great. As dumb as that sounds, but you know, <laughs> no, when you're listening to it a hundred times a day, it's really, really nice to just enjoy it the whole time. Well, also because, what you do, what you're doing is artistic as well. And you want to be inspired to do what you do artistically based off of someone else's art. So if you are digging what they're doing, you're going to, you're going to be more on as well. Right. Of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's like any project you could work on it, you know, like if you're having fun doing it, you're, you're just going to be more focused and more invested and music, like, like Natalie's music, like wise blood is, is, so engaging and 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 lush and beautiful and the layers are so vast that it's like i'm like damn like i would listen to this record today like and and just want to put it back on repeat over and over again even though i've essentially done that by having tracked the vocals <laughs> on it <laughs> how did you approach her vocals then because I, I feel like her music kind of suggests like you don't necessarily want the vocals too high up you want it for to- sure i mean I didn't mix it, but um, there there is sort of, like, an element of, like, I'm going for, like, the most classic sound so it fits with this music, um, which was all, like, you know, in John Rado style, like, track to tape and, like, has all these vintage guitars and, like, played live in the room and, like, you know, like, he does it all very, like, old school. And so the goal was just capture the vocals in, like, sort of the most pure reliable way so you worked with her um on tim heidecker's record too right fear of death so on the tim heidecker record i actually just came in to engineer like a bunch of like guitar and key stuff i think oh really it was just like a couple days um but she wasn't there for that this was like probably again like through rado i think that they were using his studio and so um uh, my man's from Lemon Twigs came in to play some guitar, and there was another producer there that was like a, also playing synths and keys and stuff. So it was mostly just like overdubs days. 
Okay, so you didn't work with uh, Natalie or Tim then? Natalie nor Tim were in the studio for those. Interesting. Yeah. It was like finishing touches. The record was was 90% done at that point, and they just needed more time, I think. Yeah, that's a great record, too. I think Tim Heidecker is actually, um, he's a good musician. He's a good songwriter. Oh, yeah. He's a great songwriter. It's so- he doesn't like ska, though. He doesn't like ska. That's okay. He doesn't? That's shocking. He interviewed me <laughs> on his show, and yeah. Oh, my God. Awesome. Not a ska fan. What the hell? And then it got sampled by a band called Bad Operation. Yeah, this is... <laughs> okay, iconic. The... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the song um I, I like the whole record um Fear of Death but the closing song um How We Drift Away which is co it gets, uh, gets a wise blood co-write I think is just a this is a beautiful song. Oh yeah. It's a sad beautiful song. I mean the record is really interesting cuz I feel like you see Tim Heidecker and you're like oh this is a funny guy like this is going to be funny but it's like not i mean it's like clever but it's not like haha you know (laughs) but then there's the first song uh prelude to a feeling which is kind of funny because it's like uh it's like it's the hey everybody uh we're uh, you're about to listen to an album song or something it's (laughs) it's so ridiculous (laughs) but it's but it's also like yeah it's more clever than absurd i would say yeah it's it's like not not his like usual brand or, or something or i don't know like maybe it is but it's just, it's just like a different it like feels like a third dimension of him that we we wouldn't have seen had we not listened to the records you know yeah all right so you're a big fan of sufjan stevens huge huge i worship at the altar <laughs> <laughs> all right don't want me to put you on the spot but can you um can you name some songs or even records that you, you feel like are your top Sufjin songs or, or, or records? Absolutely. Yes. So like, I think the first I, I bought a sun came cause it was in a bargain bin at a record store near where I lived. And I was like, Oh, I, that was, that was what started it for you. Weirdly. Yes. Because I feel like, um, actually this is so, this is weird. So, um, I heard To Be Alone With You because I had the OC soundtrack uh, <laughs> from mm-hmm. iTunes or yeah. something. But I, I'm currently watching the OC for the first time now wow. with my partner. I've never seen it before, but I had the, the soundtrack because it just had like so many like indie gems that were like so my vibe in like, you know. 2006 or whatever um but i bought a sun came in a bargain bin because i recognized the name and then i was like whoa this is not like what's on what was on the oc thing which was to be alone with you so then i went backwards i listened to seven swans which i am just so so very in love with still um and then i think like a big one for me was age of odds just cause it's like nothing I've ever heard. And it, it, I don't know, like it's, it's so moving. And so like, 
orchestral but then there's like all this like sort of digital like ripping of the space time and space and time continuum and um and then also carrie and lowell was a big one for me um something about his music makes me feel like very like psychedelic in in this way of like like if i'm driving and listening to the right sufyan song then it's like it feels like my peripherals just like grow wider and i can see so much more of like Mm. the world and like colors and i don't know it's like something about the way he writes is so so emotionally special to me but also like i love his career like he just he just makes whatever he wants and there it's all good and he can just keep being in his studio making little records all the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's pretty amazing um, I remember um, it blew my mind when I found out that he uh, started out in the the band Danielson. Yeah, isn't that crazy? He also like was like not like he was like a woodwind player, and he was like a creative writing uh, undergrad. Like he he did like I feel like he tried to do so many things before he finally was like, ah, oh, fine, I'll make a bunch of records. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Carrie and Lola, to me, I think um, is probably probably my favorite. Um, just because I think that's just like his probably his opus. You know, it's probably his. It'll probably always be the most emotionally pure uh, per- personal thing he'll ever write and release. And I think he ex- he expressed it so well and so vulnerably. Yeah, it, it's a it's a perfect album. Yeah, but his catalog's great. Otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. Have you ever heard the uh, standalone track he did, Tanya Harding? Oh, yeah, of course. Ugh, fantastic. He's just like, he's always doing like, that's what I'm talking about, about, about like doing whatever he wants. Like he can, he puts out Carrie and Lola, which is obviously like not only so personal and so like what he was feeling deeply, but also it's like kind of one of the more like marketable records he's ever done and then he just yeah it's like releasing weird one-offs about like bass or like tanya harding or you know he's like (laughs) randomly has like just singles that appear out of nowhere i think he made a record with his stepdad at some point yeah yeah i think that's all instrumental yeah 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 he did the whole like uh the thing the bqe where it's it's like all just like a visual like a 20 or 30 minute like visual arts thing with like scoring behind it he did like some pieces for the new york ballet like this fool's doing whatever he wants all the time and it's all awesome (laughs) do you know now i don't know if it was a joke or not but the tanya harding thing like there's like i think it's in the liner notes or something that it was like originally written for the movie but they rejected it i I couldn't tell if that was a joke do you know? I have no idea if that's legit or not. Like, I can believe that that it was possibly in the running, and they were like, no, and then he was like, well, I like it, and put it out anyway. Um, and I also know he's, like, pretty cheeky sometimes. So, mm-hmm. you, like, he'll... Did you see the, like... There was, like, a Tumblr post from a few years ago where he was, like, rating everything that happened in the year? I didn't see that. No, it's so funny. It's good. All right, I'll have to look that up. Yeah. All right. So 
Illuminati hotties, tender core. Tender punk. Tender punk. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All all heart, no conceit, lots of burritos. Oh yeah. Is that from Bandcamp? Does it still say that on Bandcamp? (laughs) I read it somewhere. (laughs) Hell yeah. Why not why not core? Why punk? I don't know. I I just started calling it tender punk because that felt the most real to me. I think at the time of like creating the band, I probably was like not in a phase of hardcore as I've sort of like come in and out of it. But um yeah, like tender punk felt real for that. Mm Mm-hmm for when I was making kiss, kiss your frenemies and it just kind of stuck. Let's, let's go. Let's talk about burritos though. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Adam here is a, a huge burrito connoisseur. Oh my God. What's the best burrito in the Bay? Oh, tacos me rancho. Come on. Tacos me ranch. Is that in the mission? No, it's an eat. So the mission used to be where to go get a burrito, but now it's East Oakland. Okay. Cool. Straight up. Tacos me rancho. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm literally like, I might go tomorrow. I'm driving to go to a wedding in the Bay Area. So maybe I'll make a stop. Okay, yeah. Tacos Me Rancho. It's right by the lake. It's open. It used to be open till three. It's only open till midnight now. I think they had some trouble with their neighbors. Okay. And also like the after hours crowd used to be like pretty, pretty wild. Is this the truck? Okay. Yeah. It's a truck. Yeah. And it's so good. Do you eat meat, Sarah? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. So you're set. Get the carne asada. You're Amazing. fucking stoked. Oh my God. I'm so excited. And if you get the super burrito, it's gone up. The inflation has hit these burritos so hard, <laughs> but it's a 15 no. inch burrito. It's a 15 inch burrito. Whoa. 20 bucks. <laughs> that's literally, that's bigger than my arm. It used to be $9 when I started going there. Oh yeah. It's bigger <laughs> than my arm. Wow. $9. It used to be $9. And then when it hit $15, I was like, that's fine. That's a dollar an inch. And then it went up to 20. A <laughs> dollar an inch. Yeah. And I was like, oh. no, that's just ridiculous. Okay. So what, what for you makes a good burrito? What, what do you like? Okay. I like hot sauce is crucial. Mm-hmm. Like what salsa is in it. Um, texture. Like I don't, I, I like a, a whole bean. I feel oh, like yeah. the refried bean gets kind of too like mushy, wet, you know? Yeah. And I don't, re- I don't really like black beans either. Cause it tastes like I'm eating dirt. I like black beans, but I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. They just like, they're of inferior bean to Pinto. That's fair. That's, That's totally fair. Yeah. Whole bean is, is really what, what is yeah. the crucial yeah. point, no matter what the bean. Um, and then, I think that like the seasoning on the meat on the protein is um like gets overlooked sometimes and and yeah. is not it's like when it's good it's like so good and when it's just like whatever normal it's a bummer. I also get really bummed when a, a taco like a burrito place doesn't do a good job trimming like the gristle. Mm, so like yeah, a mouthful of gristle and you have to spit it out. Yeah. Like there's certain places I, I won't even get, I won't even get asada. I'll get chicken. Cause I know that their chicken's okay. Yes, totally. Okay. Go, go on from there. What, what else do you like? Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I like, yeah, I think, let's see. I talked about heat texture seasoning. I mean, I love rice. I think like good rice is, sure. is crucial. Um, 
it's I like am hit or miss on guac. Honestly, I love guacamole outside of a burrito. If it's if mm. I know the burrito is going to be too mushy, I don't add guac to the inside. Sure. Um, that that makes sense. Also, I'm I'm not a big fan of guac, but I like avocado. Yeah, straight up avocado is better than guac. I oh, I, that's a, that, that's one of my strongest uh, burrito opinions. Really? Yes. Avocado. Whole, whole avocado instead of guac. Yeah, whole avocado, not guac. Yeah. Okay, so you're with it? Okay. Oh, yeah. I was about to, I, I thought Aaron and I were about to throw down, but okay. <laughs> we're good. So, you know, um, one of, so, so Sarah, one of the things that the pandemic uh, stole from us is, um, and I don't know why it hasn't come back yet, <laughs> is Adam used to make burrito videos. So dumb. Oh, you know, so, so like Facebook has like the Facebook live feature and I was like, what the fuck are you supposed to do with this? And so I used to, used to just turn it on and just film myself eating burritos. Cause I was like, this is so fucking stupid. Instagram live. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram live. Like it became like useful during the pandemic. Yeah. Like people were like doing stuff with it and I was like, oh, this is fun. Like now it makes sense. That's probably why I haven't done it anymore. Okay. What about, okay. Back to burritos. <laughs> Okay, so in SoCal, burritos get wrapped in wax paper. NorCal, burritos get wrapped in foil. Where do you land on that? I don't know if I've ever had a burrito wrapped in wax paper. I feel like it's always in foil. Oh, okay. It's easier to open. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I and I can see the use of the like SoCal people will say the wax paper keeps it from getting soggy. No, no. I, I think I'm mostly a foil person, but I can see the qual- the good qualities of the wax paper. No, I like foil. I think that's the way to go. Okay. Yeah. Although like both like foil is like, you know, when you just get too excited and then you like accidentally eat some of the paper, like foil is worse to eat <laughs> than wax paper. <laughs> yeah, and you are you gotta be going hard to take off a bite of some foil for real. I mean I can't control what, what happens once I Yeah. For sure. Okay, what? So what? You got salsa on the side. Then you put in salsa on every bite. Um, I'm usually I get salsa inside, and then I okay. have a side hot sauce. Oh, a side hot sauce. Okay, I like that. Get down. Yeah, exactly. Um, because I I do love spicy. And then what? What do you drink with your with your burrito? Burritos. <laughs> Haritos, Haritos is good. I love. What about horchata? You know, horchata is like a little bit intense for me. It's um, pretty intense. I don't do dairies, but there is a lot of vegan horchata in LA, yeah. and it's just like, yeah, it's just like kind of one step too much as far as like I'm already eating a burrito. Like I don't also need like a <laughs> thick, milky yeah. beverage. But um, Coke, Coca Cola, always Ooh, great. Coke in the bottle. And, Oh yeah, always good. <laughs> and then also, like, kind of honestly, I love water. I'm like in yeah. in my adulthood, I've learned to just be drinking water, and I love it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I have one of those big thirty two ounce bottles covered in band stickers. Same. Yes, totally. Yeah. Right on. A hundred percent. I mean, I used to be very like, like, I used to like not drink water. You know, like, be like perpetually dehydrated and thirsty all the yeah. time and just be like Same. why do i feel gross and then i and then <laughs> you get a water bottle and then you're just drinking out of it because you're holding it all the time and you feel better. yep 
it's yeah. it's kind of a wild thing that, that works so well and it's so simple but like <laughs> all of us none of us did it when we were younger we we're just like what no <laughs> why do i feel like shit oh i haven't drank any water cool literally yes yeah yeah it's amazing what water will do like i feel like when i was like a kid i would you know like at summer camp i was like oh i have a headache you know like mm-hmm. it's just because it was fucking hot and i wasn't drinking any water <laughs> yep yeah and i don't know about you but my family was like glass of milk at every meal whoa and the idea of that now is like so repellent yeah i was like drinking zero water and just all milk yeah okay one more (laughs) one more burrito opinion really quick sarah lettuce inside the burrito how do you feel about it hard no fuck yeah hard no what the fuck are people thinking what the fuck are you like You're already eating a burrito. Like it's not to have like a lettuce, like last ditch effort at like making it it healthy. Hey, you want some veggies, right? I love fajita veggies. I can't fuck with lettuce. Yeah. Amen. Fuck yeah. And then what about, what about the, do you like the little, the little plastic baggie, the little dime bag of jalapenos and carrots? I love it. I love those carrots. I'll sometimes just eat that first, just by itself. Oh my god, it's so good! Yeah, yeah, I they um, there's like a market near here that makes them really good. Hell yeah! All right, yeah, go to Tacos Me Rancho when you come to Oakland. You won't be upset. Okay, I might do it this weekend. Hell yeah! Take a picture of yourself in front of it. Okay. There's there's <laughs> like this there's this billboard perpetually over the top of it because it's just mm-hmm. on this weird street corner, and mm-hmm. it's like. 99% of the time the the billboard is just blank but then the bottom like third is just solid graffiti it's so <laughs> rad it makes me so happy every time i go visit it oh my god i love that yeah aaron's just like yeah i got adam talking about burritos <laughs> what would you do adam what would you do if i came in favor of lettuce and burritos this podcast would be over <laughs> My goodness. I can't even imagine the drama. Sarah, Sarah's take was so 100% correct. <laughs> like we're, we're all Californians here. We know. How but goes. like, I was like so stoked that she was just like, <laughs> like no last ditch effort trying to get some fucking veggies in you. Fuck. <laughs> I was like, a plus no notes. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thank you. All right, let's we'll change gears to I want to talk about your song Pool Hoppin'. Okay. Yeah. Uh specifically I want to talk about the video. Ah, so yes. Okay. You're 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 literally pool hopping in the video, but um was actually freezing when you recorded that, right? Yes, it was so annoying. Like it's always hot in LA. Like there's rarely except for like the, you know, a couple weeks like in the actual winter it's rarely like bad weather to get into a pool and for whatever reason just like that weekend the one day we filmed it was completely overcast and cold and then like i think we filmed it in like march or april so like the like no one was like heating their pools yet either because it was like not not it was like off season um so like not only was it cold outside, but also the water was just like literally freezing cold. Fun. 
So (laughs) (laughs) did you get used to it or was it just, was it torture every time? It was pain. I mean, like I, I was like used to it in the sense where like, I just dissociated from my body and was like, I'm just going to do this video. Like it's going to be fine. And then they would yell cut to like set some stuff up. And I was just like, like shivering in the pool while they like fix some shit um with like on the camera side i guess uh so yeah it was like it was like pretty uncomfortable but it was fun like because like my friends were there and you know that part was fun now when when you wrote that song was that a uh guitar riff first song yes that was a riff the riff from that song, I had just been like playing like at soundcheck nonstop. It was just like a weird riff that I had like been noodling on for a long time. And I, it was like, it was just that for way longer than it was a song. And it took me a while to like crack the code. And then once I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Then I, I wrote the song pretty quickly after that. But yeah, it just existed as that guitar line for a long time. Yeah, that's a great that's a great guitar line. I think that's probably what got me into your music was the the opening section of of that song cuz it's yes. like it's got this sort of like garage rock sort of sound to it, but it's also feels backwards. I don't know, I can't really explain <laughs> what's it's something's wrong about it as well. Like totally. it's not yeah, exactly yeah. garage rock, but it feels like it is. Right. Yeah. I mean, I really was like trying to rip like, like some 41 or like oh, yeah. newfound new glory, you know, like something of that sort of era of pop punk. I was like, I need like a, like a mega riff, you know, somewhere. Was the, so when you, when you did start to write it as a full song and you, you wrote the lyrics, was, was that inspired by a, like a story or anything specific or was that just, were you just putting stuff together? It was a little of both. I mean, I think there's, like, sort of underlying metaphor there of, like, being confused and in love with people and not not in love with people and just, like, trying to figure out who you are and who you like and what's yeah. going on. You know, like, it's just kind of, like, very carefree and, like, no drama, but also, like just stumbling around from person to person, you know? How did you come up with the pool hopping part though? Is that, was that just a visual or was, have, have you, have you been pool hopping a lot? And (laughs) that came up to your, in your head as an idea of like, that would be, uh, you know, symbolizing that carefree nature. Yeah. I've, I've done it a bit, like pretty much like any hotel. If you just like walk in, (laughs) Mm. like, and just act like you're supposed to be there, then nobody says anything to you. So I feel like there was, you know, it's, it's, it's been a wide range of the pools that I've hopped into, but I definitely have just sort of like done the, like, I'm just going to waltz in here with some friends and like order a beer at the bar and see if anybody cares that I'm not actually a guest at this hotel, Yeah, which is, yeah, I think that's just a product of like being in hot ass LA and, like not having access to a pool until Sadie Dupuy introduced me to Dan Ozzy. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, with your pool hopping, have you ever, have you ever been kicked out? Um, that's a good question. 
No, I don't think I've ever been kicked out, actually. Shockingly. Hell yeah. So see, the the whole being worried about getting kicked out, it's just a myth. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, I feel like I've definitely um, talked to, like, hotel staff where they're like, they know, and I know they know that I'm not supposed to be there. Right. But you just kind of, like, make friends and say what's up and order a beer and leave a tip, you know? Thank you for listening to In Defense of Ska. To support the show, sign up for our Patreon. Intro and outro music by Slow Gherkin from the EP Lives. Additional music by Dan P. and the Bricks. Please rate and review the podcast and tell a friend. Follow at In Defense of Ska on social media. The book In Defense of Ska by Aaron Carnes is available from Clash Books. Order it online. Chris Reeves of SPI is our editor. This is your co-host, Adam Davis of Omnigon, leading you by saying Ska now more than ever. You like indie rock, huh, Aaron? Yes, I do. <laughs> I always like it when I get in your car to go somewhere. And I always expect to be be like some cool ska stuff. And it's like sad bastard indie rock. Uh, at one point I had to like prove to you that I still listen to ska by going through my iPod. Because I feel like my iPod is selectively going through my more indie rock stuff whenever you're in the car. Yeah. Even though there's probably just as much ska in there. No, no, Adam, please believe me. I, I do defend <laughs> ska. But you know how you can defend ska, dear listener? You can sign up for our Patreon. That's right. Your hard-earned dollars will become our hard-earned dollars for only $5 a month. And then we will defend Scott together. Yes. And you'll get access to the Patreon. All the bonus content, more of this conversation with Sarah that we just had, an exclusive Discord. For a little bit more, you can get some cool swag. We've got enamel pins. Yeah. We've got tote bags. Come on. Sign up. We can talk about indie rock all you want to. We don't need to defend indie rock. Yeah. But we do need to defend. Oh. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA plus and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.